Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer, if you would. Remain standing for prayer. So, uh, so praise the Lord, man. We've got we've got time change in two weeks. Yeah. Next Sunday. So now in one month we're going to have like ministry fair. Uh, because you know, here's what I can sense. I don't know if anybody else feels this or not. But it seems to me that as the pandemic goes down and people come back, there's kind of a pressure to, to see what God is doing, to get involved in what God is doing. Because we don't just have three Ps anymore, we got four Ps. Okay, so we've not just got pandemic protests and politics, we now have Putin. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you know, people are like, what in the world is God doing? Maybe I need to get to church and find out. And so I feel like, you know, there will be pressure like that. And this is my prayer. I'm praying that it'll explode on Easter Sunday. I'm praying it'll explode on Easter. Now, Easter is April 17th. So we kind of need to have our act together and our people in place by that time. So March 27th. Then have a ministry fair, and I'm hoping weather's nice and we can, I don't know, have, have spring picnic or whatever, and get everybody on board in some place that, you know, they can help and serve and, and all of that. But you don't have to wait for that because next Sunday, the hospitality team will feed you lunch for free. There is lunch free after service, after this service next Sunday. Well, because, uh, because hosp- now I know we are all hospitable, but we need to get more of our hospitable people forward facing and helping in certain areas. You know, I just thought today as I was looking at, you know, I, there, there are seats, but when, when we have visitors and others come in um, and everybody's standing, which we do for most of the time because we're worshiping, it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to see where the seats. I mean, there's a number of areas for being hospitable. And we need to be hospitable. Yeah. You, know why, you know why we say happy birthday? We say happy birthday because you reach an age where it's really depressing. That there's another one. It's like, I was just 29 yesterday and now I'm 45. What do you mean happy? What do you mean birthday? So we need, to, you know, we need people hospitable saying happy birthday and, and other things like that. So... Um, so we're hoping you join the team with all of that. And uh, then we've got, we've got a group also um, uh, helping out at Country Meadows Baptist Church today. They're putting together 6,000 New Testaments and I forget how many Bibles in a language for the Philippines. And if you, so Country Meadows Baptist Church and Independence are doing that just today. Now it may bleed over into Monday some, but uh, if you wanted to help with that, uh, Del Ray's there in the back and he'll tell you everything you need to know. Uh, Del, Del Ray will, and uh, you, can, you can go help with that if you want. Uh, and um, not only that, but, you know, I think we need to be praying not... I think we need to be praying for Ukrainians. I think we need to be praying for Russians. But beyond just praying, I had somebody ask me just this morning, you know, is there some place, someone, some way specific I could do, I could help? And yes, there is. Uh, should you want to do that, we have a we have a Romanian who was a missionary in Malawi. He came off the field a year or two ago, back to Romania. They're right near the border, and they have set up a refugee center 
And so he's going to be opening the window on, you know, uh, donations to that. So we do have a connection. And uh, let me check that out, finalize that this week, and uh, keep, you know, watch, watch our Facebook feed or whatever, and we'll let you know. But if you would like to know that your money is going someplace to actually help people, Ukrainians in that situation who also will be able to be exposed to the gospel, then uh, we'll let you know how to do that. So just go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the church family that you've given us. Lord, in both services on Sunday, and we have so many that, that serve, even between both services and so many who are involved, God, I thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for those who tithe. Just, just simply take a tenth off the top as the first fruits and give to you because it facilitates everything we can do in ministry with their kids and with everything else we do. And Lord, I, so I thank you today, even though we're not physically lifting an offering today. I, I thank you for it because I know that people are going to give. And so, Father, we pray you'd be with us now. Lord, we need you to show us through this chapter this Sunday exactly where we've got to position ourselves to be in your will and fully functioning for you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans 16. And I've never done this before in terms of preaching through Romans as we have just a chapter at a time, just, just, just one chapter each Sunday. And so I was kind of excited to see how it would go and get down to chapter 16. And you know, the time has come when we can look at your cell phone and we can pretty much tell everything about you. And probably the most revealing thing that can be gathered from your cell phone is actually going to be your contact list. One writer once said, you will be in 10 years exactly who you are right now, except for the books you read, how you spend your time, and the friends that you associate with. So if I can see your contact list, I can almost predict your future. Ministry runs on the rails of our relationships. So what a gift it is to be able to get a glimpse of Paul's contact list. Now, it's not just his friend list. That would be limited to his friends. It is his entire, his entire contact list. And the, and the first and most obvious thing that we notice in this chapter is how this contact list includes good, bad, and ugly. You know, many an agnostic or unbeliever says, look, you know, I accept that there is good in Christianity. I accept that Christianity produces good in some places, but I see so much that is bad. Well, it makes me just want to have nothing to do with it. So in this final chapter of Romans, Paul deals with both the good and the ugly, and the truth may surprise you. Because here's our thesis for today's study. While Christianity has both amazing good and painful bad, in the end, there is a victory worth choosing. This contact list is a representative cross-section of Paul's companions and all the believers there in Rome. It is the list of what we look like right now but also what we should strive to be. So when we take out our contacts and we start scrolling through our list, how should we divide it? Well, Paul shows us three things 
All of which have to do with life and our relationships. So essentially, this is how to make great decisions in life. I mean, this is how you have a great ministry through life. This is how you win friends, influence people, and get ready for God's purpose in eternity. So first off, how can you make great decisions in life? This is number one. You need to receive what is good. Okay, this is who to run with. And we see this in what Paul tells us about Phoebe. Look at verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Now, just as a side note, um, this is where we get our practice of accepting members into our church by transfer of letter. Because Phoebe carried a letter of commendation from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Said, look, you know, she's a member here in um, Sancria, which is the uh, a port city of Corinth at the church here. But I'm sending her there. And, you know, she's, uh, she's a member there when she's with you. And so verse 1, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church was at, which is at Sancria. Now, literally, that means she served in ministry at that church. And when it came time for the Apostle Paul to send someone with this most important epistle in Christianity to take it to Rome, he sends her. So first off, notice, if you will, and this is letter A, we can minister by simply receiving people. Verse 2, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. And that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. After he talks about Phoebe, we have 35 believers mentioned by name. No less than nine of them are women. Three of them among the first five people mentioned. Four of them noted for their hard work. Nine of the 35 believers are with Paul in Corinth doing the greeting. 26 are in Rome being greeted. And in addition to that, two households are mentioned along with unnamed brethren, verse 14. Two unnamed women, verse 13 and 15. And at least two other people are named who were relatives of the Apostle Paul. Peter is not mentioned because he was not there in Rome, contrary to Catholic opinion. But three churches are being written to. Now just survey this with me, watch. Verse 3 to 5, the church that Aquila and Priscilla had in their house. Verse 14, the church of the five brethren. Verse 15, the church of the three men and two women that are mentioned there in verse 15. So Paul is a soul winner, but he's also a friend and fellowship maker. And this window on the world of Paul is a window on the world that we ought to be and who we should run alongside in our life. So now just start at verse 3, and I'm not going to go in detail because we're just doing one sermon on this whole chapter. I want you to survey with me this section. Now I want you to notice the names and the descriptions Paul has included in his contact list. Because this is who we are. First, we see a good couple who serves. He says, greet my helpers, Priscilla and Aquila. So you must serve by receiving people. And second, letter B, you need to minister by greeting people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 tells us that this same couple had a church in their house 
whenever Paul was with them in Philippi. So wherever they went, they planted a church because Christianity can turn a family into its own worship center. So Paul says, look, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas. So you need to minister by receiving. You need to minister by greeting. And then third, you need to minister by loving people. Paul offers Eponidas up as the first fruit of an expected great harvest there in Europe. So Eponidas is the pioneer. I mean, he's on the front line. He's on the frontier. Then Paul says, greet the worker, Mary. So today, this is letter D, you can minister by helping people. Because true love is never lazy. Now, I guess I would even go more forward and say a little bit more than that. Because obviously, we've got choices. you got choices. And you can make the choice to make a commitment and get involved and do things and be part of the body and everything God's doing and all pulling together and, you know, something going on. Or you can say, you know, Alan, I really don't wait, uh, you know, want to make that commitment. Well, okay. Uh, but what happens then is you are wandering and you are squandering. Hello, somebody. You are squandering and wandering instead of being tied in. And then what happens is, you know, a few months down the road or maybe even a year or two, I get a call. Somebody wants counseling because all of this has fallen apart. And then, you know, why did this happen to me? Well, uh, okay. Why, you know, why, why wander when you could have been with us? Because the problem's not so much what happened. It's the fact you can't handle it because you, you weren't plugged in where you could have been. So true love is just never lazy. Paul says, look, salute my kinsmen, my ethnicity, and fellow prisoners, Adronicus and Junia. I mean, they were my ethnicity. They look like me, and we were all unjustly put in prison. So finally, and this is letter E, you can minister with us by honoring people. Now, he's honoring them even though they had been put in a dishonorable position. And there's no story in the book of Acts about Paul being in prison prior to writing the book of Romans, except briefly at Philippi. And Silas was the one who was thrown in there with him. But Paul does say in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three that he was in prisons more frequent. So he was arrested by Roman authorities more times than Martin King was arrested by Southern segregationists. And somewhere along the way, this man and this woman were on the chain gang with the Apostle Paul. Continue this survey with me. Greet my beloved Amplius, salute our helper Urbane, and my beloved Stachys, and salute approved Apelles, and salute the household of Aristobulus. So watch, in verse 7... We have someone noted among the apostles. Then in verse 10, we have someone approved by Christ. And this just goes to show you that while all Christians are to be saluted and all Christians are to be made uh, to, to feel like they're honored and respected, some Christians can even be greeted because you got more of an emotional attachment to them. But not all Christians are equally noted in the church or approved of by the Lord. Some are doing things that are allowed, but, but not approved. And some people are taking notes, but they're not being noted of among the believers. So, Paul says, salute my kinsman Herodian. Greet the household of Narcissus. 
Salute workers Tryphena and Tryphosa, obviously twins. Salute beloved Persis. If nothing else, have a ministry of encouragement. Have a ministry of edification. When you arrive on Sunday, you ought to become part of the welcoming committee. You know, it's like, well, I'm here. Maybe people should greet me. No, I think you're here. You should, you should greet people. And, and you need to do that because Paul says we have three levels of Christians sitting in here right now. You want to know who they are? Watch, watch. Three levels of Christian life. First, we have some who are just in the Lord. Praise the Lord. They're in the Lord. Second, some go a step further. They labor in the Lord. And finally, finally, there are those leaders who are flying first class. They labor much in the Lord. So Paul says, look, they're really beloved. I don't know what to tell you, but those are the ones that are really beloved. So we see good in couples. We see good in first generation pioneers. We see good in workers and helpers. We see good in those of our own ethnicity, if they're believers. We also now see good in children who are following the faith of their parents. Watch, he says, salute chosen Rufus and his mother and mine. So apparently she was the physical mother of Rufus, mother in the church to the Apostle Paul. Being a Rufus's father had also been chosen. He was chosen whenever Jesus stumbled and could no longer carry his cross to Calvary's hill. Watch, look on your handout, Mark chapter 15, verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear Jesus' cross. And then two other churches are mentioned that Paul says, look, give a hug to them also. And this includes what I will call the spiritual them-in-laws. Okay, these are our spiritual them-in-laws. He says, salute a synchronous Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Then he says, salute Philologus and Julia, Nerus and her sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. So that was their adult classes, that was their harvest teams, that was all their ministry groups, because these are the people who matter to Paul. They're the ones he listens to when he needs advice, they're, they're the ones that he keeps up with, and he is calling them out because he wants them to know that even though he met them in other parts of the empire, he remembers them there in Rome. So he ends this way, verse 16. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. You know, Paul ends 1 Thessalonians the same way. He ends both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians the same way, saying give each other a holy kiss. Well, it needs to be a holy kiss. Do not give me a kiss like Judas. Uh, Do not, and yet, do not neglect to kiss me like Simon the Pharisee. Kiss me like Mary when she brought her alabaster box. Kiss me like the father when he found his lost son returning. Greet me with a kiss of charity, as Peter calls it, 1 Peter 5.14. How do we love one another? I need your holy kisses. You know, somebody said that kissing is a means of getting two people so close together, they can't see anything wrong. They can't see anything wrong in the other person. They're too close. They can't see anything wrong between them. They're too close. And in Romans 13, verse 8, 
Paul says, I owe you that kind of love. I'm a debtor to God to give you that kind of love. And whether we do it today by holy hug or holy handshake, Paul says, I owe you love like this. Galatians 5.13, Paul has to warn churches in that province and say, look, brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. How do we keep from doing that? It is when we, by love, serve one another. So now you would think that a holy kiss sealing every member ministry would always simply be filled with love alone. But that is not waking reality. I mean, after all, the church at Corinth, well, they did the holy kiss thing. But Paul has to write two letters to them to correct the problems in their church. I mean, they were not expressing love like they should, and then they were expressing tolerance of open sin like they shouldn't, and then they were expressing lust in society and not love. I mean, it was so wicked bad. Even the Lord's Supper didn't express love in Corinth. So second, if you make great decisions in life, you will make them, this is number two, when you refuse what is bad. So now, here is what to run from. And frankly, before we get into this section, I want to thank God that he's not perfect. I mean, I thank God. He, obviously, God is not perfect. Uh, you know, he must be tone deaf because he thinks the off-key singing of a five-year-old is more beautiful than the professional sound of an opera singer. Obviously, God cannot count because he accepts the dollar from a preschooler with the same joy accepts a thousand dollars from somebody rich. So, at the bottom line, God does not just see us as we are right now. He does not see you as you are today. He keeps looking at you for what he can see in you and what you can be by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But now having said all of that, there's still a warning that we need to heed. Because another major way to minister is by guarding the fellowship against disunity. So Paul uses the salutations to unite believers together. But next, next, he's got to give them a caution to watch out for the principles, the practices, and the people who are destructive of love and our Christian unity. And he doesn't command them like someone who lords it over them. He begs them. Why? Because there are people who Satan wants to use as his agents to separate us. Satan has an agency, so he's always looking for human agents, even saved ones. They act as his agents because of pride or ambition or selfishness or whatever, and they use perverse disputings and evil surmisings to try and alienate the affections of a church that is united. Here is how they betray themselves. Look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Because if you desert the truth, then peace is not going to last that long. He says, watch them, watch the method that they use, watch the goal that they're going for. We need to be discerning of spirits because often people's pretenses are plausible, 
but their projects are pernicious. Hello, somebody. So do not just look at the divisions and the offenses. Trace them back to their source. He's talking about doctrinal issues here. He says, look, mark those who are causing this doctrinal confusion and calamity because the problem is the person and the danger, if it's discovered, is half prevented. So here's how they behave themselves. Verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So Paul tells us the master they serve. He tells us the methods they use because the devil and his agents have a particular spite against growing churches and people who are growing spiritually. The adversary covets that type of prey. And so Paul tells them, look, false teachers have heard how you are obedient to the gospel. And I'm afraid they're going to come among you and see if you will be obedient to them. And since Christianity has both amazing good and painful bad, then that means you will make the best decisions of your life. And this is number three. Whenever you recognize God gives us the victory. This is what you have to be running toward. Verse 19. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now the James gang says that that word simple also means harmless. And uh, so here they translate it simple as in simpleton because Paul is contrasting it with good wisdom. Wisdom versus simpleness. But Jesus contrasts it with the serpent in Matthew 10, 16. So in Matthew 10, 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and simple, harmless as doves. Years ago, a major news anchor had the Houston Police Department shoot him up with heroin so that he could experience what the addicts were addicted to. Now that explains a whole lot right there. I'm just saying. The only person that needs to experience something before they know that it is bad is the person who refuses to believe how the Bible defines life for us. Somebody once said, you know, the only thing you need to know about snakes is which ones you can outrun. Amen. So Paul gives two general rules. Be skillful and intelligent in truth and the ways of God. And then simultaneously, be simple concerning evil. You want to know the surefire path to victory? Be wise to discern what is really good and how to stay away from what is counterfeit and masquerading as good. Proverbs 14 verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. That's kind of ambiguous, but I think it means both. To understand God's way, but even to understand his own way, whereas the folly of fools is deceit because he deceives himself about his own way. Man, I wish that they taught the book of Proverbs every year in high school in our public schools. Understand God's ways, be unable to carry out evil ways, and running toward this good path brings us to ultimate victory, verse 20, because our God is the God of peace. When you come to God needing spiritual victory, 
Do not see him just as the Lord of hosts who has all power, but as the God of peace. God at peace with us. God speaking peace to us. God working peace through us. God creating peace for us. So Paul has warned them about their weaknesses. Then they turn around and say, well, okay, Paul, but look, how are we going to escape the snares that Satan is laying out for us? So Paul goes on to say, look, even though you cannot overcome him in your own strength and wisdom, you can still trust the God of peace to bring you to a position of peace. As a matter of fact, victory comes from God, I think, more as the God of peace than as the God of war. Because even in conflict, the thing you've got to be fighting for is peace. So since God is the God of peace... Paul says he will restrain and remove those who cause visions and divisions and offenses, verse 17, and who are disturbing the peace of the church. Verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. You know, whenever Joshua conquered the, the kings of Canaan, he had the captains of Israel's armies to put their feet on the necks of those defeated kings, Joshua 10, verse 24. So Jesus, our Joshua, is going to enable all of his faithful servants and soldiers to set their feet on the neck of Satan. So it ain't over yet. And I know that, you know, it can look to us like, well, you know, if somebody kills us, well, then it's over. No, it ain't over. It's not over when you know a God of resurrection. So Christ has already bound the strong man He's already defanged the serpent. So when you get saved by being born again, you are invading his territory. You are stripping him of his power, at least in your own life. And so now you have nothing to do but pursue the victory that God already gives us and chase after the souls of others. And since we are dealing with a conquered enemy, Jesus is perfecting our victory as we go along. The war will end quickly, so take heart. To this last statement, Paul appends another benediction. Look at verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Because if the grace of Christ is with us, who can prevail against us? I mean, you know what? I, I, I need... I need you praying this verse right here with me as we minister together. I need you praying this verse as we go forward. I need you you praying this verse with me as we come out out from under the pandemic, as we go forward toward Easter. Because then we will see how Satan is a snake that is limited in his poison. Because Satan has four limitations. Watch. He cannot take the peace of a spirit-filled person. He cannot take your life before it's time. He cannot prevent the frustrating of his own purposes. And he cannot get you into hell after you get into Christ. Now, outside of that, he he tries everything. So Paul warns us against his devices and against his fangs. But in the final analysis, I'm I'm not going to let you leave today without asking you this question. Will you serve with us? In the ministry of worship to God. 
Here's the bottom line truth for today and truth for our end times. Look at verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you, to stabilize you, to make you firm and establish you and give you a foundation and, and make it so you're not bipolar. He will establish you according to my gospel and you being discipled, preaching a Jesus According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, you don't see the church in the Old Testament. This whole idea of what God was going to do with us just wasn't in there. But now Paul says this type of mystery, the you know, thing that makes it a mystery is not that it's hidden in secret. It's because God finally revealed it. And now it's made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, like himself, and Peter and others, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That is the eternal purpose of God. I mean, God's purpose for eternity is to glorify himself by Jesus Christ through his body, this church. And that means you. That means you if you are a believer. So all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. You know, whenever I look out over two services on Sunday, especially the last two or three weeks, I look out over two services on Sunday, I think I know how Ben Franklin felt whenever he flew the kite and he caught the lightning bolt. I think I know how I felt because I'm looking out saying, man, if I could just harness that, if I could just harness it. You have been called to serve. And because we are a church of every member ministry, God wants you to serve here. We exist for the four biblical reasons for discipleship. We live to magnify God through worship. We live to understand God's will in his word. We live to fellowship as part of this believing family, and we live to help other believers in this body serve God in ministry with us. You know, there's a sense in which either you're gathering or you're scattering. Say, Alan, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not scattering. Okay, well, then you're wandering, I guess, and, 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 and that's bad enough. We want you to, to, to come be involved. We want to see you grow so that you can serve. We want you discipled so you can disciple somebody else. Why have the scriptures if you're not going to use it? Why get saved and have eternal life if you're not going to live by the everlasting life that Christ gives you? Receive what is good, watch out for what is evil, and know that God is guiding you to victory with us, then you will make the best decisions in this short life. First John 4 verses 7 and 8 say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Stop moaning, stop groaning, start living in ministry in these last days. There has never been a better moment to convince somebody to believe the gospel than right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you will anoint the members 
of this church for every member ministry in these last days. And, and Lord, that as individuals, each one of us, varying in our gifts, varying in our abilities, might know that that is exactly what we were born to do, eternal impact. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to do something a little bit different today. I mean, I feel like every Sunday I can never close without at least opening a window of opportunity for you to respond to the gospel. But today I want to do it a little bit different. I'm just wanting, wondering how many of you in here would say, look, Alan, if I were to die today, COVID, cardiac arrest, uh, run over in the parking lot at Walmart, whatever. I know I have a relationship with God, a saving relationship. I've trusted Jesus for everlasting life. So I don't really die. I just go to sleep in Jesus and I go to be with him whenever this earthly tent of my body is taken down. If you can give me that testimony, would you just lift your hand? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I know by the grace of God, because I have trusted in the finished work of Christ by faith, I now have assurance from the Holy Spirit inside of me that I am born again. Thank you. And it wasn't a trick question. I don't mean to manipulate or, you know, all I want to say is that if you could not lift your hand, I want to help you. Because all you have to do is pray. Since Jesus is alive and since he hears, all you have to do is pray and trust Jesus for eternal life. All you have to do is pray and say something like this, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he paid for my sins with his blood on the cross. I believe you raised him from the dead. So right now I'm putting the whole weight of my trust in him to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Jesus, I give you my life and I receive you now as my own Lord and Savior. I know you won't deny me no matter how dirty I am. Because if I'm a great sinner and you save me today, it is simply to your greater glory for eternity. So, Lord, I trust you today for exactly what you promised me, everlasting life. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us if you would. If you prayed that today for the first time, then I'd like you to meet us here at the front. Let us record it and rejoice with you. And I've got a book I want to give you on next steps for new believers. Or maybe you, you know, got saved in time past, but you, you need to know the next steps. And you want to know what they are. I'm happy to give you a copy of my book. Next Sunday, we'll be back in our series on the Holy Spirit. Invite somebody to come with you so they do not miss out.